A lot of people are missing the broader understanding of what cloud is and cloud networking in general is. Everything in cloud is a technology that has existed in the data center for many years, repackaged with a pretty front end, a nice CLI and automatable. Everything you see that comes out in cloud is a technology that has existed. Welcome to Altitude, the unsung heroes of cloud transformation, a podcast by Aviatrix. Today, more and more enterprises are moving their business up to the cloud as the race to innovate continues. In this multi-cloud world, IT leaders and teams find themselves behind the wheel where they are confronted with both new challenges and new opportunities. On Altitude, we explore the voices and stories of the people who are overcoming these challenges every day to drive their business to the next level. Be sure to subscribe on your preferred listening app and stay tuned for this episode. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Altitude. I'm Woody Woodworth and have an awesome guest for us today, Rob DeWeese, who is the Director of Cloud Networking at Kentrell. Rob, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Really excited for this one. Yeah, me too. Been looking forward to this since we met uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so for those uh, fans and listeners that follow me on YouTube, uh, you'll probably notice my background's a little different. It's because I'm on the move. I just moved to North Carolina. I relocated my family there and the RV is now my office. So enjoy the rustic background. It probably won't change anytime soon. <laughs> Rob, uh, talk to me a little bit about your role at Kendrill. I mean, you are director of network architecture, and you must have a large team of architects under you that probably do network and security architecture for all the major clouds. Absolutely. So a uh, little history lesson. Um, Kendrill is the consulting wing spinoff from IBM. So I joined IBM six years ago for Microsoft Azure. At the time I joined IBM because I was doing product development on you know the Azure side. And when you're on the, the product side of things, two out of 10 things you work on a year become commercial successes. And you really end up creating a lot of documentation and things that you're just guessing at what the client's problems are. I, I even, you know, I'm coming out with some, some new things right now. And I have a, a live fire exercise I'm using with an actual client to figure out the methods and procedures. So you got kind of you know, sick of that and wasting effort. And I'm in general level of effort to me is a calories you can spend, you know, on a project or with a client or in general, I'm all about being efficient. So I joined IBM to stop guessing. And IBM to me is, uh, they were the people that did the hard problems. And I, I only really like to do hard things that challenge me and keep me engaged. I joined IBM as the lead cloud architect on the cloud team, always having a networking focus you know, help transform that and make the what was then the cloud migration factory one of the largest uh, lift and shifters migration GSIs in the world. Uh, we really made something special and learned a lot. IBM announced the split. They said, "Hey, we're going to split the the consulting wing off from the company and create this new company called Kindrel." And that was about a year and a half ago. Uh, the company is now a year old. It is the <laughs> Though it's a year old, it is the largest GSI in the world. Uh, so a lot of people don't know the name Kindrel. It is the consulting wing of IBM. We are 90,000, maybe 92,000 plus employees worldwide. So the same global reach as IBM. Wow. Plus we have another 30, 40,000 wow. contractors. We're really large. You know, I rose from lead cloud architect to chief architect, and then I wanted to bring things back to my roots of networking. I'm a CCIE. You know, I was doing a lot of networking at AWS and Azure, and that's 
that's really always been my passion. And I feel like cloud is mostly networking outside of machine specific administration. It really is networking. So I formed the cloud networking team. It took about two years to form and we're focusing on what I consider the the four pillars or towers of, of cloud networking. You know, the tower one, I consider hyperscaler land, anything and everything that exists in a hyperscaler. So anything and everything specific to AWS or Azure or GCP all features. And then Tower 2, I consider hyperscaler WAN, how we connect in through the internet, VPN, MPLS, Direct Connect, Express Route, things like that. And then, you know, Tower 3 and 4 are really, you know, where your product suite kind of come in, you know, complex flows, connecting SAPs, SaaS application, colos, controlling of things, the security stack, uh, those kind of bundle into what I call Tower 3 and Tower 4 of cloud networking. So a little long-winded explanation, but I want to help people understand what Kindrel is and what we do. That was really informative. I want to back up a little bit and just kind of get a, a state of the union. I mean, you're in a perfect position to talk to everyone that listens on on this podcast about what's going on in cloud networking. I mean, you probably have more projects on your desk as, you know, a 90,000 strong, if not the world's largest GSI doing cloud integration. So I'm sure you're busy insofar as networking touches everything, mm-hmm. right? Every cloud project that begins needs security and networking and infrastructure. Yeah. Your team's probably involved in every single uh, migration project, Greenfield project. What's going on out there? I mean, what do you see is happening maybe in the last couple of years that has been transformative or not? Maybe it's really the same story that we've had for uh, four or five years and it's kind of a flat landscape. Well, the state of the industry, it's quite a topic, right? I talked about this at RSA conference a few months back. You know, I, I feel like there are a lot of point solutions coming out there, you know, like we always see in tech, you know, a lot of startups that, hey, we're looking to solve a, you know, corner case, use case, and 90% of them won't exist in a few years. A lot of people are missing the broader understanding of what cloud is and cloud networking in general is, you know, everything in cloud is a technology that has existed in the data center for many years, repackaged with a pretty front end, a nice CLI and automatable. Everything you see that comes out in cloud is a technology that has existed before, mostly in the data center. So the current state, I kind of see it as got to divide it from like small, medium-sized business to enterprise. When you're a small, medium-sized business, it's anything you can do in cloud is basically greenfield or it's it's easier plug and play, add a SaaS, tie it in here. And those have their own ways of doing things. Now at Kindrel, I mostly do Fortune 100 companies. On the enterprise side, they're much harder problems. The state of the industry is a lot of enterprises five, 10 years ago, or even now have treated cloud as HRDA, you know, especially ones that have been in cloud for five, 10 years, they moved their crown jewels into the cloud, but treated it more as like a data center extension. And now they're seeing their bills really high. They're seeing that their hyperscaler discounts for like their two, three year agreements they assigned, they got when they, they signed up are, you know, they're expiring and they're seeing their just cost explode. They're seeing you know, huge cost and, and complexity issues increase, especially integrating with legacy systems. Those are the hard problems I like to take on. You know, it's uh, integrating cloud technologies with SaaS applications that have to talk to mainframe services, things like that. You know, that's that's where we really excel in like the FinServe space and the, the healthcare and the DOD, things like that. You're right on saying that it's ever increasing line of complexity. That was kind of my perception as well when I was doing cloud architecture at Azure. So that must be 
why you have this complex flows as part of your four principles, right? To deal with that kind of interlacing of all of these application speakers across this big landscape that includes probably multiple clouds and multiple data. Oh, centers. absolutely. Multi-cloud is, it's no longer like a concept. It's a real thing. I, every client I have, there are plenty that are single cloud as they claim to be, but what you can consider colos clouds at this point because of the features and compatibility and the consoles and the marketplace now it's it's so similar to cloud the fact that you know 90% of you know enterprise businesses procure their cloud connectivity out of colos it really has become what i what i'm i've dubbed the middle cloud on the mm -hmm. state of the industry it's really interesting we've had you know in the last 2 years now regulations that have fallen in the US and in Europe uh, for financial and healthcare to allow for applications and data storage in the cloud. Prior to that, they're, they're kind of like the last holdouts. Now, I do feel like the great migration waves are over. So we're now seeing a shift in the industry towards maintaining the base, uh, locking them into features, uh, keeping expansion upon services in each hyperscaler. And if we look at the state of the industry from the hyperscaler perspective, it's really about that vendor lock-in approach. And that's where I got frustrated, frustrated at RSA. I even called out some vendors where I said, the true winners of the hyperscaler race are going to be the ones that get their solutions to work on-prem. I think Google's doing a good job of this. You know, but like AWS, you know, they have Outpost, which really, as far as an edge platform, I don't think it, it it's perfect, but it, it is something. But I just don't see why that technology can't be put on a compute platform because it, it works on Linux platforms for the most part. You know, why we can't extend that to the data center and that will grow the reach and that's really preventing, you know, the growth of this industry. One of these hyperscalers is going to go that route, and then we're going to see a massive change where all of a sudden you're going to be able to deploy AWS technology and control mechanisms in your data center, in the colo, maybe even on your sites. I still think they're stuck in the lock you into the platform and expand in the ever never-ending feature race. I don't like that approach anymore, even though I'm major fans of the hyperscalers having worked for two of them, just like you have. I, I think the true success what the clients need is if you want to be the end-to-end -end control platform that controls the infrastructure, you need to bring those platforms down to, you know, beyond the hyperscaler, you know, land. And it's a good observation. Some of that has to do with, I mean, there's a number of factors there with workloads that just don't play nicely in cloud. Mm -hmm. You know, when you stretch that application across those two horizons, a data center and a, a CSP like Taffy, you get into a lot of network, advanced network problems that people don't anticipate bandwidth delay product is so it's people were buying these big 10 gig pipes express route direct connect whatever and they're saying well we're getting a gig through it yeah. and i would say well how far away is your data center and they would say well it's you know a thousand miles away and i was like yeah well, <laughs> there's this thing called bandwidth delay product which is the ability to move data over tcp is relegated by its ability to acknowledge the receipt of data like I would say that's a big hindrance that really hasn't been figured out yet. And I don't see any solutions coming down the road that are transformative around like RTO and RPO time, either for storage or, you know, things that really yeah. matter. And that's what's keeping a lot of things on-prem and also cost case increasing, right? I have a, a former coworker at, at uh, AWS, Cam Agion, came out with an article a few months ago where he bundled eight one gig pipes in a VPN and used uh, equal cost multipathing to widen the pipe and uh, prove that you can actually get terabit transfers of databases over the internet through a VPN uh, with Oracle services. Now, it wouldn't solve the performance issue, 
but if it could solve a lot of like backup issues and things where you got to do bulk data transfers without having to procure a lot of MPLS, Direct Connects, Express Routes, Cloud Connect, I think that's a good tool in the in the toolbox to have. Yeah, uh, part of the Aviatrix secret sauce, I guess it's not so secret here, I am talking about it for what we call HPE or high performance encryption is essentially just that. I mean, it's a proprietary hashing algorithm we have that creates dozens or even hundreds of VPN tunnels and then hashes traffic across them to fill the pipe as it were, which is a very similar approach to what you were talking about, which is the kind of divide and conquer. One of the big things that was always hard for customers when they first got to cloud were the speeds and feeds through through VPN and IPsec, right? For the networking oh, yeah. folks, insofar as you know, a VPN gateway that's x86-based or AMD-based running in a big hypervisor, each IPsec tunnel is basically pinned to a single core because of the key negotiation and encryption. You know, they don't multiplex the encryption algorithms across multiple cores. That, that kind of science isn't out yet, or maybe we'll never see it. You know, it's basically one tunnel mapping per core. So then the throughput, of course, is an expression of CPU in cloud. It's not an expression of uh, how many blades you have or how big your FPGAs are, and these things that are more familiar to the data center crew on, on how to get bigger speeds and feeds. So, you know, they would say, well, we have IPsec over express route, but we're only getting two gigabit per second. And the answer is, well, yeah, it's because the VPN gateway in, in the cloud can only yeah. do two gig per tunnel, and uh, you got to make more tunnels. Maybe it was only five years ago, maybe a little bit longer. Those designs were being pushed of doing VPN over like express routes. I ran to a client the other like probably three, four months ago, it's like they had 16 VPN tunnels. And when I looked at it, like, what are you doing? And then I looked under the hood. I'm like, okay, it makes sense. You've got your PCI traffic separated here and some other things. And I'm just thinking from a design, I wouldn't do that now. But that goes back to the state of the industry. You know, people do things a certain way. They end up staying in those states. So you've got a lot of people that are kind of stuck in a classic architecture, even though there are better ways to do it now. And I, I'm coming up with these things called field of play. They're like network assessments or like, I have a two-week version and a four- to six-week version that kind of look for things like that. Like, hey, you know, Transit Gateway is now available. You know, things like that, integrating. But then again, the platforms like yours help solve that and make it easier. So it's like I, I have some design principles. I think we'll go over it later. But one of them is like any core feature that runs your environment, especially in networking, should not be hyperscaler specific. It's interesting. And it's not a politicized statement. I think it comes from you from, you know, a, a lot of experience and a lot of hard knocks, but the reasoning behind it, I think would be interesting to explore. So going back to those four design principles, let's unpack them kind of one by one, lay and WAN, and then you mentioned an overlay, and then there's the complex flows. I think the land kind of makes sense. That's east-west, right? So VNet to VNet, VPC to VPC. I need like a branding company to come out with this, but at a conceptual layer, I consider cloud networking four towers, okay? Tower one is hyperscaler land. That's really actually anything and everything in the hyperscaler. Now that's how I bucketize it when I'm scoping out projects or trying to explain you know, how to educate people. Okay, so that's anything and everything in AWS. So that can be east, west, north, south, if you want to consider it like data center technology. If I had to push all these products and features and everything into a bucket, hyperscaler land, L-A-N-D. There's tower two, hyperscaler WAN, W-A-N, which is how we connect in. Internet, VPN, um. MPLS, whatever. Tower three is what I call inter-hyperscaler and service control. Uh, that can be things like routing and security, control platforms and management, um, cost control options. I have tower four, which is like the real big growth and where the big money costs are and where the industry is going. It's complex flows. And what that really comes down to is SaaS applications, APIs, 
uh, future proofing for expansion, integration, compatibility, and elasticity that extends beyond the cloud. But you know, allowing people to connect in however they want, regardless of geography or circuit types. So those are the four towers. Now I started out a few months ago with three towers, and I expanded upon it. I'm going to get a PR or HR, you know, some some sort of firm to help me like come up with some better branding. But I think you can kind of bucketize solutions projects when I'm scoping things into those four towers right now. At least conceptually, that's where I'm at. How important is cost to you in those four towers? Insofar as, in my experience, it was relatively simple to build something really elegant and scalable and secure. But then when you added in the cost and the budgeting to try to keep that, you know, under certain amount of dollar per year and, and really be conscious of your, your month to month spend, you know, something had to go like, so there were some tough choices. Cost, you know, I kind of have in tower three, but it, it costs as part of all four towers in the end. Cause what makes up your, your compute, what makes yeah. up the cloud bill? It's compute storage networking, everything you pay for in the cloud. It's a combination of those three elements. Okay. So networking makes up about a third give or take depends. We've had things change recently in Azure where like, hey, inter uh, region VNet uh, communication is now free in some regions. Okay. So that's going to change the game a little bit, but networking, you know, also involves computing of like third-party NVA uh, network virtualized appliance and, and things like that. So there's also a compute component attached to that for running firewalls, VPNs, whatever. Networking is a huge cost component um mpls circuits are expensive but the most necessary reason to use mpls as far as i can tell nowadays for enterprise businesses then there's cost of complexity which is one that i really go after in these fields of play assessments is not being able to pivot and make changes in your environment to bring things on and remove them hamper speed execution which really you know costs the business money it also hampers your ability to bring your services close to your clients whether you're they're reaching it through an application over the internet, whether they're partners or traders connecting in through the marketplace. And then there's the cost of security too, right? And security is, you know, it, it's always going to be this great push and pull. And then there's like cost of logging too. By the way, security is logging. You could put in security, you could put it under operations or whatever. So the cost is, is really a part of all four towers as I see it. But being on the consulting side, you know, two years ago, cost wasn't as big of a lever as it is now. I feel like every deal I work with, cost is number one. It's the number one lever working for deals. So for those people on this podcast that are on the consulting side, you know, cost is the number one lever right now. As far as I can tell, it's not changing. It's always been extremely important, but it's never been easier to convince. If you've got your use case based all around cost, performance, and security and reducing complexity, I think you got a slam dunk. Yeah, it's easy to kind of throw the CSPs under the bus, say that they don't make cost control very easy. They have a lot of really impressive advanced cost tools. But in my experience through my keyhole, which yeah. was Azure in this case, they didn't have a lot of advanced cost analysis for throughput for network traffic. In one example, it was how much is it costing me for this subscription to send traffic through ExpressRoute to on-prem? But the answer at the time was there's no dial for that. Yeah, I'll give you a, a, the, the best use case I got on that right now. With the IBM Kindrel separation, we were handed like 186 data centers. And we signed a $1.5 billion deal with Microsoft. Basically, we're closing down all most of these data centers and moving them to Azure. Figuring out the financing of it has, you know, this is a five-year project. We've already closed down a lot, and we've got some regions live on our new solution and whatnot. Um, but... Even last week, we were doing more and more budget 
you know, meetings. And gosh, that's that's definitely the hardest part of my job. It's a lot easier to predict licensing and compute um, than it is networking. And you're absolutely right. Um, that's that's the one you just can't guarantee. Like uh, anyone can act very accurately predict, right? So you can look at like classic numbers of like eight megs of sustained average for this service over the last, you know, few years. But that really doesn't come into account that on the hyperscalers end, they actually, you know, do the pricing during prime time is like, it's kind of marked up and it's all like, com it's all combined into one rate. But if you learn how to uh, optimize around, just like your power company, it's cheaper to run your dishwasher and your washing machine at night. It's the same thing in the hyperscalers. So learning to take advantage of things like that. There's other things that you can do around cost too, like the older, you know, Virginia data centers in the, in the East region and in the West region, whatnot in the US and Canada. They're actually cheaper to run out of. So when you're looking at like spot reservations or things like that, if you're running out of a, a region that you're probably uh, not in, you know, but the older regions, they're actually going to be cheaper to run out of. And knowing little insights like that can save your company money. Ah, that's good. Any other thoughts about critical things you tell your architecture team across your four towers to emphasize to help customers with cost? Because cost really is, you nailed it. It's top of mind with everyone right now. Whether they're help desks, architects, uh, pre-sales and, and sales people, this is where I've, I've kind of come up with the four towers of cloud networking. And then I measure them against my 12 design principles that hold true, not just to cloud networking, but also data center, SD-WAN and many other things. Teach them about that, show them use cases. Mm. On the hiring front, there's only, at this point, with how fast the industry has changed, there's only one thing I look for in new hires and the willingness and ability to figure things out. So on the hiring front, just touch on that. All I need from you, I don't care if you're Harvard educated, I, I don't care if you didn't graduate community college, if you show me the ability to do whatever it takes to figure things out, you'll be good at any one of those roles. That's what I look for. That's awesome. Just two years ago, things have changed so dramatically. I feel like things are really speeding up uh, as opposed to, you know, cloud took a while to get under its legs. So what I teach people, I do this zero to hero workshop. It's like five days. The skill sets are architects, pre-sales, sales, support, doesn't matter. Anyone that's new and once we've got a critical mass to run in a region, we'll do it. I start out with an introduction of what cloud is. And I really, what I do there is the history of cloud. I cover cloud for, you know, the history of that. Um, for a few hours and explain, you know, that essentially the birth of cloud was just taking data center technology and making a front end for our, for customers. I was at AWS when this was occurring. So it doesn't matter where you're coming from. I always like to start the history and then I do deep dives on AWS, Azure, GCP, and then I do case studies, um, talk about how we discuss things with clients, how we design. Winning a project or anything, all it takes is empathy. You just got to listen to your clients, empathize with their problems. Most of the time, they even know the solution they need. And 90% of the time, it's it's probably the right solution. So, you know, I go through things like that. And it really doesn't matter if you're help desk to chief architect. That's how I, I train people up. Yeah, I, I agree. I always found the secret to being a good salesperson was just to listen, right? It really is. To become... Yeah, the advocate of the customer, just like, what are you trying to accomplish? Let, let me really ingest what your world is like, right? What are your problems? What are your needs? The vast majority of the time, the way they've conceived of it is always the best starting place. They're on the right track. And then it's just those adjustments and tweaks. I, I love this. I like actual substance to these. So let's, let's just dive into my design principles. I'm not going to cover all of them, but uh, my first principle from the consulting angle is adhere to the company's architectural principles. Now, a lot of companies actually don't have that. 
But if, I, if I'm coming to a client and I want to design something first, I want to know what your design principles are. The most important one, and if you could boil everything down to just this one statement, design the network as a product built to adopt new features and technologies. And what that does is kind of future proofs your network. So build it like Lego so you can bring in new technology and chuck things out. Now, how do you get there? There's some other design principles that enable that, you know, building a design that can work in a geography. So making like cookie cutter, small, medium, t-shirt sizing type templatized services, products, features, um, designing it to be transport agnostic and independent of connectivity used. Because nowadays in 2023, it's about, you know, enabling your platform to work however people want to consume it. Maybe people are traders or partners and they want to, they're in AWS, but you're in Azure. So you need to build that exchange where Aviatrix can come in really well. If you can build a network that works in any geography and works regardless of circuit type or geography, like that's the way to design services. It's all about bringing your, your service as close to the end user as possible. You know, the internet's a lot better than it used to be. So take advantage of that. And it, it comes, it does come at a certain cost case, you know, understanding how cost works. Um, Another design principles, avoid cloud vendor lock-in for core services that run the environment, which is where Aviatrix fits in, and then avoid unnecessary costs. But here, here's how I see it with the cloud vendor lock-in thing is if I'm a company and I'm in multiple clouds or in multiple SaaSs, I don't want to have an Azure firewall expert or an AWS firewall expert and run Palo Altos on-prem. Okay, so when I'm advising clients like look for speed to execution and management, let's get a platform that can also work there. Let's get a platform that can tie these complex flows like Aviatrix to come in. Oh, now we can, ex let's, let's, let's look at the core service and then we can expand upon those. That might map over to Aviatrix, that might map over to product X, Y, or Z, you know? And hey, if you're familiar with this platform or the automation set that works here versus there, we wanna go with what makes you more comfortable. It might come at a slightly higher cost. Generally costs are pretty competitive nowadays, but ease of administration and complexity really matter. Uh, but at the same time, do you really need dual firewalls running out of AWS or Edge, you know, network virtualized appliances um, when we're already in a hyperscaler, oh, hyper-view world in the hyperscaler? So I've got so many clients where it's like they've got like 70 plus accounts and they've got dual firewalls like that are Palo Alto or Fortinet or Cisco or whatever because they copied their data center design. And yep. it, it's a lot of extra costs, a little bit extra administration. You know, five, 10 years ago, I'd been like, not the best idea, but nowadays I'm like, man, let's not do that. Yeah. If I had a dollar for every time I saw a customer bring in three pairs of uh, next generation firewalls to do something that one good auto scale pair could do, you know, I could retire. That piece about avoiding vendor lock-in and not wanting specialists um, in some of these more bespoke cloud platforms, you know, you want something that's contiguous across the total landscape must have something, if not everything, to do with your earlier statement that the core network services shouldn't be hyperscaler specific, right? I mean, that's what you're talking about. Since I am the director of cloud networking, my focus is on networking. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it should be, I, I include load balancing types in that. I include logging type, logging platforms. Like I do not like to see enterprise companies, you know, with like the, the Amazon specific logging and you know, WatchGuard and everything, and then they go to Azure or Oracle or GCP and you're doing the same thing. Like, what are you doing? we got to make this easy to operate. I think those principles apply to networking, and that's why I'm a big fan of Aviatrix. But that also applies to machine types and database types. Mm -hmm. it, these principles really apply to not just networking, in my opinion. Um, they're formed off years of my own experience. And, you know, pick them apart, guys, if, if you want. You know, it's just what's applied to my world. And I've I have to simplify and train people up. And I, I think you can boil it down to this. But you know, if a regulation comes along 
and all of a sudden you've got to convert 10,000 AMI images back to some new image on, you know, Prem or in the Colo, like you're going to spend years playing, paying financial fines just to get it done. And it's going to be a nightmare. Simplifying the multi-cloud networking story, which really includes SaaSes and really includes Colos. I really consider Colos cloud now and SaaS applications are definitely cloud. Every client I go to that has millions or billions of dollars of SD-WAN infrastructure, it's still only going to the cloud, the colo, you know, or to the data center. There's rarely any any need for site-to-site communication. So why are you paying all these monthly licensing fees, you know, management platforms that can do 20, 30, you know, sites. And what I really like to see now is the centralization of firewall. If the performance is right, and it meets your security standards, things like your, your DFW are game changers, what I'm really out solutioning. Couldn't agree more. I mean, that's what attracted me over here was looking at some of the bigger pain points in cloud as it turned into a solid multi-cloud play. Again, it goes back to one of my principles that, that you and I share, which is scalability, build it to be built again, build it as a service that's modular. I mean, I couldn't agree more with that. And a big component of that is on-demand as a service and Mm -hmm. the perpetual licensing model, which somehow still exists for these vendors in cloud is the antithesis to that pattern, right? Because you lock into a certain amount of kit, a certain amount of capability on these big yearly blocks, but then how how do you, how do you grow against that licensing model in an agile way, right? If you need twice what you license for, you've got to go back to them and say, oh, we got the licensing model wrong. They've been trying to recover that business. And that's why you're seeing the flex credit system I mean, Fortinet, Palo Alto, Juniper, Cisco. Now they're like, they're saying, hey, we're aware of these problems that you complain about. So just buy a thousand credits and you can slot it to this, this device or that device and use the flex. And it just keeps the ball, the bill rolling. It is a better system, but it doesn't solve the hardware. That's awesome. Let's do this. Let's have you come back soon. We'll finish the, uh, the principles. We'll do a two part. Because I think this is such an in-depth, awesome topic. Like, there's no way we're going to crush it in 40 minutes. We're all, man, smoking cool conversation. Thanks for coming on the show. It was so nice to get down and dirty and actually be technical. This was good. I I really enjoyed it. I think a part two, and I'll I'll discuss some topics with you guys. So this is a little teaser. If we do do a second one, I want to do use cases and maybe design some things up and go over stuff like that. I love it. Thank you so much. Have a good one. All right. Thank you.